good morning, good afternoon, and good evening whenever you hear this podcast. This is your host, you know who, and welcome on board to another episode of the Pop Flying Machine. On today's episode, I'm hosting a very dear friend of mine. So, Michael, this is the editing of our little interview. I hope you enjoy it. The link it will not be very, very public. So, it's just you and me knowing where to find this podcast. Enjoy, and thank you very much. On the first part of the interview, we will discuss about short haul flights how the flight planning uh, system is taking care of those flights, what are the automations, and where are or when are the instances where the flight dispatcher has to be actively involved in the short-haul flights. So, uh, when you're saying the um, uh, short-haul, so uh, what the dispatcher does, nothing, or he just check the alternates or the weather, or none of those? No, there, I mean, this, I mean, Lido has a built-in um, airport suitability check. It checks the notons by itself. It checks the weather by itself. So, literally, it's like if everything goes smooth, let's say, you know, like there's no strike, there are no slots or whatnot, if the weather is good everywhere, mm-hmm. dude, you sit there and you don't do anything, really? literally. You are, you're basically there, you're a troubleshooter. So when something goes wrong, like for example, you get, or let's say a flight plan gets rejected. Oh, okay. Why, why did the flight plan get rejected? You know, it's like, and then you try to fix it. And then, uh, or if, um, if there's a calculation error, for mm-hmm. some reason, Lido is not able to calculate the flight. Right. It gives you an error message and you're like, oh, okay, why didn't it calculate the flight? Or, um, and then for example, on days, like usually during the summer period, when there are slots galore, then you try to see, okay, what can I do to get rid of the slots or reduce them? And that is then either you re, you try to reroute them or you um, uh, go contact the Eurocontrol via the e-help desk and you ask for improvement or stuff like, you know, so there is plenty to do on the short range, but in the ideal world, if everything is running smoothly, you sit back and you don't do anything. The system just does it by itself. Yeah. And it's basically it's one dispatcher for the entire short haul flights. And we're talking about like during your shift, we're talking about hundreds of flights just during your shift. <laughs> you oversee. Yeah. Oh, man. So the system yeah. also uploads the documents and sends the briefing to the crew. Everything all those automatically. Really? It does it automatically. Oh, man. That's and, then also, and then also when there's a delay or something like that, um, the thing is that so basically, I mean, like everything is ne- everything works is like part of the network. So the thing is that either it's like our uh, hub controllers or our operations controllers or even the local handling agents, they put in a new estimated time of departure because they're running late or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. they feed that into their system that gets then filtered through to our system and that gets then filtered down to our flight planning system. And then it'll automatically delay the flight plan. You literally you don't have to do anything. Essentially, Man, it manages itself. So interesting. Yeah. Oh. Um, but that's of course only for the short haul flights. I mean, the thing is that there are, um, a couple of short haul flights that we have to plan manually because they're a bit too special. Uh, mm-hmm. for example, when we plan, uh, a flight to, uh, Madeira there, the weather situation and the alternate situation is a bit too weird or a bit too special so that we say, okay, we don't trust the automation to do it correctly. We want a dispatcher to do it. Or, uh, also, um, if we fly to Keflavik. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar story, or also when we fly to uh, Tbilisi, 
that is also done manually. Or when we fly from Frankfurt to Innsbruck, okay. that is also a bit uh, a bit special, you know. So, or if we or in the winter time when we fly to uh, uh, Tromsø in uh, Norway because the weather situation is a bit uh, special over there. Right. So for stuff like that, there we have a couple uh, like a handful of short flights that we do by hand, but. Uh, 99% is done automatically. At the next part, Michael will explain what happens in the background of the system and when are the cases that the disparter must be involved. The way it is set up is that uh, eight hours before the flight, it does its initial calculation. So it mm -hmm. calculates, it calculates. So we have like basically a, a list of company routes that it calculates, yeah. and plus the minimum cost, minimum fuel, and so on. Um, and ideally, all the all the flight all the routes that it calculates are valid in your you know within your control mm -hmm. um and then it files the cheapest one that's what it's it just files the the, the cheapest route all right um it doesn't take into account en route weather which is a bit silly but the thing is that in europe there's not really much you can do i mean of course the crew they can call and say okay hey i don't like the weather can you choose a different route for us and then yeah okay you you then plan how he wants it but in 99% of the time, it's enough if you do that. Mm -hmm. And then um, one hour and 40 minutes before departure, it um, uh, recalculates the flight plan again uh, with the current zero fuel weight because about two hours before departure, uh, the zero fuel weight is then released by our load control team. Yeah. Um, and then it does the ca final calculation with uh, the zero fuel weight. And then, of course, if there's any other changes, like, for example, if there's an aircraft change or if um, uh, or if there's, for example, a delay or something like that, you know, then it triggers new calculations every time. So there are certain things where it, it, uh, new calculations get triggered. Mm -hmm. um, and other times also, if I want to manually trigger a calculation, I'll just say, okay, right click and then, you know, start AOS recalculation. Uh, there's a button for that. Right. And then it does a recalculation of it. Yeah. Yeah, but but the thing is that eight hours before the flight, you don't know really about the load, anything about the load of the aircraft. That, that, we, that's well, in our the, case, the we system... use statistical. We use statistical uh -huh. values. Okay. It does its initial calculation with statistical values. I am not sure how it, uh, why it was decided that way that it needs to do this first calculation eight hours in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, it would have been enough if they would have done it, I don't know, four hours in advance or at least you know or like th three and a half hours in advance because like yeah. that you avoid being a late filer so it yeah, would have been yeah, enough yeah, yeah right okay i don't know they are they said that no do it eight hours in advance yeah whatever uh whatever i think it's i think it's uh, a holdover from uh basically back then when the automation wasn't trusted 100 mm -hmm. they said that okay no we want the automation to start early as early as uh, as early as sensibly possible yeah, so that if yeah. there are then all of a sudden a bunch of calculation errors, you have enough time or a bunch of rejects, you have a enough time to get rid of those rejects. Yeah. So, um, or to work the problem, I guess that's where it came from. And how about the automations on the long haul flight? This is the next part of the interview. They're trying to do something similar for the long haul as well in the future, but that is light years away. That is light years away because in order it's to do that, it needs to take it. It's, it's difficult, difficult and it needs to take into account en route weather as well. During a trial period, they on certain uh, city pairs, long range uh, city pairs, they tried to do this uh, automated calculation. 
um, which went only with like which only lasted about a week, and then thereafter the flight <laughs> op said no, deactivate it. It's not working because it would plan it would plan the flight just it would just take the cheapest route and it would plan the flights for an active hurricane, for example. And the fleet said no. Nah. <laughs> improve the optimizer and then uh maybe we can talk about that again but for now we want we want dispatchers to plan our flight <laughs> and as long as then as long as that is the case i know i have a job so i don't mind and how about the shifts how how the system works in your current operations well for a lot of things uh, we have i mean like for example anything that doesn't go across the ocean we have company routes right so okay. we have like a set of like i don't know maybe like 10, 12, 15 company routes, it calculates them all and then we just use the cheapest one. Mm-hmm. Because they are also because they are also then you know connected with uh, the you know with the uh, overflight permits and so on and so forth. So yeah, as long as we stick to the yeah, company yeah, route. Right. And also mm-hmm. that and that's all the cool thing. Lido, if you don't have the if you don't have the overflight permit for a country, it will not calculate that plan. It will not mm-hmm. calculate the route. So right. if if so if Lido calculates it, then you're reasonably certain we also have the traffic rights for that. Mm-hmm. Now for North Atlantic stuff, um, there you can so there you can say, okay, you know, just plan me, you know, random. You know, so mm-hmm. either you know minimum cost, minimum fl- uh, fuel, minimum time, and then also you can say plan me also the tracks, and then yeah. and then so then you can so, so then you have you know a couple of variants you know with uh, so all, you have all it calculates all the tracks and then also a couple of other additional variants and then you take a look and then you see um, what makes sense uh, on that day and then you manually build uh, the flight uh, the, the the routing for that that's i mean usually basically anything that goes across the ocean that's when we have to do manually building right. but anything that goes over mainland we just take a company route and we just take the next best one and mm-hmm. that's it so in average how much time you think that it's gonna take you to to make uh, the complete flight line um that uh, that depends um the our company officially and they calculate 45 minutes per flight plan mm-hmm. but in reality it's like if everything is going for you you can get, you know, you're done within 15 minutes but right. sometimes you also have um, like a bitch of a flight plan where you're well over an hour <laughs> because <Yeah>. it's <laughs> because of whatever you know <laughs> yeah yeah i know that i know that and in a typical shift how many how many people you are in the in the ocean? Uh, usually, um, for the long range, usually you're there maybe with like, with, uh, we have like overlapping shifts. So you have an early yeah. shift and then you have like the late shift and then you have a late, late shift and we have like slight overlaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually you're there with two people, but most of the time, uh, but a lot of the time you're also on your own and oh. you do anything between, um, eight to 10 flights is a normal shift pattern in the summer because we were understaffed we did 15 16 flights per oh shift and that was God. and that was that that is rough that was really rough yeah uh-huh. <laughs> one of the problems that we have both realized while working together is the attitude of the managers two things that we cover in our discussion is first of all the knowledge Uh, of the managers and most importantly the managerial skills and michael has to offer one very nice example highlighting the problems that we have in aviation a good example a good example is at one point we had a charter request uh, to fly to um, uh, to ferry our 747 to shannon to pick something up i think it was a 
I think it was to pick up a jet engine mm -hmm. and then deliver it to uh, Auckland, New Zealand. Right. What is the quickest way? Well, what is the best way? So, and the thing is that my role, I was there, um, I, I mean, it's basically, I was the specialist, you know, like to work out these kind of charter requests and work out, you know, which way is it better? You know, is it flying and like, uh, uh, is it flying, you know, like the um, east way around the world or is mm -hmm. it maybe over yeah. the, the North Pole, which one is quicker? And then I figured out that basically if we fly, you know, it's like uh, fly from Shannon to Anchorage, do a fuel stop over there. From Anchorage, we um, uh, continue to Honolulu. Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't an engine. What were we transporting? We were full. We were heavy. We couldn't do that in uh, with just in one, one fuel stop. Right, okay. We were. I think we were ca carrying about 110 tons, and the max capacity was 117 or something wow. like that. We were heavy. I forgot what we were carrying. So we had to do two fuel stops, and that was the best. Also, overflight permit-wise and so on, because it was, yeah, that, that also came on top of that is because it was short notice, relatively speaking, and all the permits we would have to apply. I mean, you know how it is. You have yeah, to apply yeah, for it yeah. and so on. And um, yeah, so we were like, okay. And then you know that uh, Malaysia, how horrible they are with permits. So I was like, okay, for, you know, short notice m Malaysian permit, uh, Indonesian permits. Sorry, I mean, short notice Indonesian permits is like, yeah, you can forget about it. Mm -hmm. Um so I figured that, yeah, no, it's like, and also based on the flight time and also the, the cost, it was cheaper to just operate as I proposed. So I then come back with my proposal to the commercial team and to my boss. She looks at it. She looks at me and she's like, really? Is that the best way? And I was like, absolutely. And then she's like, really? It's like, uh, and it's like, but wait. It's like if we're fly if we're flying to the no, and th she turns around to the map to a map which we had on the back wall of our office, mm. and then she was like, "But wait, if we but if New Zealand is in south, why are we flying north first? <laughs> and I was like, to myself in my mind, I was like thinking, "Oh no, oh no, she didn't, oh no, she didn't," and Here then and then she and then she and then she looked at the map Here and she says. Uh, and she she looked at the uh, the world map and she says, "Look, isn't it much faster if we just draw a line on the map and you see where we go?" I was like, "Oh my God, no, no!" And then I had to explain to her that, "Okay, no offense, but the world is round. <laughs> the exactly. world is round. You know, we live on a sphere, right? You, <laughs> so the world, the world that. is a sphere. It's <laughs> like it's not that it's not that the airplane is going to fall off the edge of the world. I was like, no, you can't make this shit up, man. You cannot make it up. Uh. Or even, or it's like, or even to the point. Okay, if you have a manager post and you don't know anything about, you know, it's like any of the theoretical knowledge that is one element but then the other element which i have seen also very often is that managerial skills are also absolutely non-existent with a lot of these people they don't know how to manage where you ask okay so like for like a lot of things that okay hey we need a leader we need it's like this is your this is we need a manager to you know like you this is your job you need to do this you need to take care of this you need to manage yeah. this you know yeah, exactly. um but no non-existent but that, but there, I've, but it's, I've noticed that, and also in all the years and all the different companies that I work for, it's the same shit. You have managers that um, don't know anything about the, or don't have the theoretical knowledge of the, like the the department that they are managing, of what we're doing. So you know, like if if you're if you're head of dispatch, then you should know how to dispatch, you know, as a you know as a basic. Um, yeah. 
but then at the same time it's like yeah they don't know how to be a manager but one thing that they are very good at uh, is micromanaging unnecessary stuff is also <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's like just yeah just leave me be i give you i give you the results what you do with those results is yeah, is, yeah exactly. is none, is none of my business thing, I will but let me but i will deliver yeah <clears throat> yeah and at the last part of the interview we will remember a very funny story from the time that we were working at the same company looking backwards it's really funny and we enjoyed a lot but during the actual operations taking into consideration the the nature of our operation the nature of the passenger that was a bit stressful yet a very funny story so this is what happened there was this one case where uh, i forgot which v i uh, which vvip we were flying but he was supposed to fly from jfk to uh gatwick and then uh, we at some point we get a phone call from london radar saying that okay hey right. but uh, it's like he's on approach to, to stansted and we're like wait what stansted you remember that you remember it was a great captain Oh and my suddenly God. my phone started ringing like crazy. <laughs> I said, man, we are a stand so there is no one here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I was on duty when that happened. And we were like, oh shit. And it's like, it was, it was for me, it was, I think was my last week, my last week in the company. And then I remember it's like, oh my God, the aircraft's going to stand. What the fuck? What's going on? And then we tried to call, you know, the protocol office and whatnot. Because the thing is that, Here's the picture, you know, so the guy, so the guy lands, opens the door, where is everybody? And at the same time, you have the red carpet, there was a brass marching band waiting for the aircraft in Gatwick. <laughs> and they were like, where's the aircraft? <laughs> so that in the end, it's like, uh, what the protocol office then did was they arranged a motorcade. They said, that, okay, everyone jump in cars, jump in your buses, and you drive up to Stansted. The, the VIP agreed to wait in the aircraft <laughs> until everyone arrives. <laughs> and from Gatwick to Stansted, and years later, uh i moved to london <coughs> i know how long how far that drive is dude yeah, it's, like, you know, totally it's a man. long drive it's a long drive it's a long drive i was like oh bloody hell it's like from one end of london to the other and that was the today's episode thank you very much for joining michael thank you very much I'm waiting for your feedback. See you, take care.